0: Welcome to the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. I'm David Pratt, along with Peter Krzyzewski, President of Everything Financial Group. Now, Peter, on show number four here, we're going to work our way through the Omni formula, and today's episode is about investment fees. Yes, one of your favorite topics, and the simple do's and don'ts that you should know. Fees? Are you saying that I'd like to talk about fees every once in a while? Oh, no, not me.
1: No, 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 uh, never, no. (laughs) Yeah, fees. Um, We're going to talk about fees, the do's and don'ts of fees. And, and fees are not a bad thing. I mean, unless they're really, really high, obviously. But again, it's it's what we talked about back uh, way back when in episode two, I think, about full disclosure. Yeah. And that's what we want to talk about with fees is, is how to read them, how to find out what they are. Uh, or in some cases, you can't really find out what they are. And when you can't find out what a fee is, that's a dangerous thing. Um, just to for full disclosure to shed light on people. We are one of the worst countries in the world when it comes to disclosure of fees. Uh, It's brutal. It's brutal. Uh, uh, We make fun of the neighbors to the South. Yeah. And I work, as you know, with an office in Arizona, I deal with Americans with my office down in Scottsdale. And what I have to provide for disclosure in the States is way above what I have to provide in Canada. So what we do at everything financial with our Omni formula is disclose everything. I, I That's that's why we started this years ago when you and I run the sports station together. Yep. And it was all about not providing answers, not providing stock tips, because that was the, the one thing we said, there's no way I'm going to be doing stuff like that. It was to provide education, disclosure, teach people to ask the questions they didn't even know they're supposed to ask. So people, we're going to teach you today to ask certain questions about fees. That's what you're going to do is learn what to ask and how to find out what those fees are. And if you can't get a clear answer on fees, that should be not one, not two, but maybe three red flags should go up
0: at that point. All right, let's get into it. Uh, The do's and don'ts. Now, what I'm invested in, okay, and how should I read an investment statement? Well, the first thing you should
1: look at, Dave, is the type of investment you're in. Okay. Um, We're not really into fees yet. It's just what is it? So look on the investment statement for the account type, now we've got a graphic we'll show you here of, of how to find that on a statement, but of is it an RSP or is it a TFSA? Or is it just what they call a non-registered or a taxable account? Um, maybe it came from a past pension and it's uh it's what's called a LIRA, locked in retirement account or a locked in RSP or or who knows. But the type of account is key because Well, what if you needed money for an emergency? Well, you don't really want to touch your RSPs if you don't have to, obviously. Um, Do I look at TFSA? Do I look at the non-register? So just understanding the type of account. Because you know what I've heard from people? This is, no, I don't have an RSP. I have mutual funds. (laughs) No, mutual funds are a type of investment that can be within an RSP, um, I didn't mention RESP, registered education savings plan there for your kids. So knowing the types of account is the first thing uh, from the statement that you can sort of help clarify is what do I have? And that's the account type. There you go.
0: Okay, let's get on to segregated funds. Okay. <laughs> I think what? I just froze up in my mouth when you said segregated funds. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> <costs, but anyways. laughs> and more importantly, do you have
1: them? Well, I don't. I can tell you that. Okay. Um, segregated funds are a type of mutual fund. They're a segregated fund, though. They're not a mutual fund. Okay. They're very similar. Um, provided by insurance companies and provided by insurance salespersons. Salespeople. Salespersons. Um, there's also an extra fee built into a segregated fund. Ouch. Now, they will tell you, but that fee is important because it provides creditor proofing and it provides insurance on your principal It's at certain stages, mind you, if you die, but you're paying a very high fee for those extra protections. So that's very important to know, again, not is it right or wrong, but what am I paying for? And here's the the thing that Peter gets on his soapbox. Here we go, people. Peter's going to rant. I learned it from this guy. (laughs) But- with a segregated fund, they're being sold by insurance people who don't have to take any educational training like someone selling mutual funds. At least they have to go through the Canadian mutual fund or, or our advisors, even though we don't sell any of these products, I have them still take this Canadian securities course. So they have the knowledge about what's involved. Um, I, cause I think education is a good thing. So a segregated fund, this is again, cynicism, cause I would never have sarcasm. No, no, never. But a never. way an insurance person can sell you an investment, get a commission without actually having to take any courses other than the life insurance course. So what does the life insurance course really have to do with selling an investment? Oh, I don't know. Other than making money, <laughs> but more importantly, segregated fund does provide some of those protections there is a fee paid for it and sometimes actually that that is not necessarily a bad thing but you should still have full disclosure and unfortunately they don't have to disclose any of those fees
0: Peter, what are ETFs, and do you have
1: them? Yeah, this is important to know, but ETFs are not a bad thing. They're what's called exchange-traded funds. They're a mutual fund with a lot of the fees stripped out. Okay. Fees stripped out. There's a good thing. Very good. Um, but all they do is follow the market. But for someone new, a younger person may be getting into the business as far as developing their financial plan, not getting the business on my side of the table um, and starting off with some savings. Maybe they're just starting off with a TFSA or starting off an RSP. Why go pay ridiculous commissions, ridiculous embedded fees. If you can just get an exchange traded fund that follows the market just to get you going on your savings path. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, it's actually a good way to buy bond holdings too, because you strip out bonds perform so lousy right now in the market when we're recording this. And then maybe if you're even watching this in a few years from now, (laughs) they'll still be doing lousy. But it's a good way to save on some of the fees to get a basic investment. So an ETF is not evil. It's just basic. But there will hit a point in your development of a financial plan where you need better advice, you need better strategies than what an ETF can can muster. Now, here's the thing. I said ETF just follows the market. Great when the market's going up. Good. Nothing wrong with that. Um, what about when the market's going down? It, wouldn't it be better to have then what's called active management, which is what a portfolio manager provides uh, to really stay a step ahead of the market? And that's important. Or at least that's what they're designed to do and
0: that's what they attempt to do. Peter, can you explain to me tax efficiency You know, with your investments, which is what we're talking about here, and your financial plan? How does this all work together? Yeah, that's great. So tax efficiency is how the portfolio manager
1: designs the investments. So your RSP, your TFSA, let's just stick with the three basics for today for the education purposes here. RSPs, TFSAs, and non-registered investments – should not be in the exact same investment. That is not tax efficient. So, I'll explain what I mean. The worst thing for tax is fixed income, bonds, anything earning interest. Anything earning interest is 100% taxable. So, if you're going to have to pay tax on something, you'd rather have it sheltered or be more efficient inside your RSP. Because, Dave, in an RSP, it doesn't matter how you make money within the RSP. You only pay tax when it comes out yeah. at whatever your income is, whatever that tax bracket is, not how it grew with inside the RSP. So, fixed income should be within an RSP. Items that are way more volatile, all equity, global equity, um, things like that. So, the more volatile portfolio that will still earn capital gains, but may have a lot of highs and lows swings to it should be in your initial TFSA. And I'm saying initial TFSA, I'll explain that in a second, but that's best in a TFSA because you'll never pay tax on that growth. So if you're going to have huge volatile growth that could cost you a lot of money in tax, put it in a TFSA where you pay no tax. Now people, on my soapbox again, tax-free savings account, wrong name, should be tax-free investment account. I I don't know if the government and the banks did this for a reason, But putting into a TFSA for long term savings and investing, it should not be in a daily interest account because what are you actually saving? You're saving nothing on the tax. The whole point is to save on tax. Now, so we're talking about efficiency, higher earning. That does not mean you can't have more than one TFSA. If your money is short term savings, where it is going to be just interest earning, have a separate TFSA for that. You know, maybe that money won't even be in the RSP, like I just mentioned. And the last thing is the non-registered money. Um, This will a lot of times be a mix, but the lowest tax items are capital gains. So a good, basic, middle-of-the-road, if you will, investment-type plan or account uh, for tax efficiency, could be in your non-registered investments. This kind of gets us back to, you know, episode two um, when you're talking about designing your financial plan and and having full disclosure to your registered financial planner. That will allow them and, and providing statements. Remember, we talked yeah. a few a few weeks back there about providing statements. Well, the statements will allow the registered financial planner to see if you do truly have tax efficiency. So tax efficiency is built into the portfolio management. Portfolio managers automatically do this when they work with us at Everything Financial. They see the plan, and then they design a portfolio to fit the plan for tax efficiency. Uh, That's the way the two work together. Not just that splatter gun effect of every investment looks the same with no efficiency whatsoever. Well, this is the one thing that,
0: that we've made really clear here is that, you know, investments are not all the same. Okay. But I mean, how do you tell them, you know, from your statement? I mean, this this is where it gets complicated to me.
1: Yeah. And it's sometimes it's actually so simple I laugh because it's so, it seems complicated. But I get a lot of statements from major financial institutions, the banks. Um, <laughs> And certain banks, I'm not going to say who, I'm not going to throw the blue one, the green one, the gold one, or the red one under the bus. But depending what the statement is and from what bank it is, nine times out of 10, I can tell the client what their investment is before they hand me the statement. Wow. Because you just look and every account is invested in the exact same mutual fund. Are you telling me that that mutual fund provided all the solutions for your kids' RESP, all the solutions for your short-term TFSA, so maybe the money you want in six months or a year from now for a vacation, or as an emergency fund, but also the same solution for your TFSA that's really part of your retirement plan in 20 years. Oh, and it covered your RSP that is also 20 years away. Um, So in the statement, and again, this... This goes back to episode two, I think, as well, where I talked about what the advisor should show you from the statement, yeah. not the rates of return, but they can point out that maybe there wasn't a lot of creativity um, put into what was chosen as an investment. Okay. Going to a mutual fund salesperson and having them pick names of mutual funds off a shelf, that's not a financial plan, people. That's fun picking and rate chasing. Having mutual funds is not a financial plan. It's a product that should be used as part of your overall financial plan. So the statements will really give a lot of insight into what kind of advice you were given in the first place.
0: And that sounds great. But I mean, here's the tricky part. How do you read your pension statements? Yeah.
1: Pension statements, financial statements, um, RSP statements... Um, put blinders on, I don't know. You can't read half the time. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying they're easy. I do this for a living and sometimes I see them and they go. So TFSAs, RSPs, RESPs, Liras, Locked in RSPs. Those are your investment statements. A pension statement will be something you get Um, from your employer or if you work for the government from a municipality. And a lot of times you really do have to take it to a registered financial planner to get full clarity. But what you're looking for is what's the income, like all the money in the world on there is great. But what you're really looking for is what kind of income is this going to provide? So I, I have an example and to the woman out there watching this, you know who you are. She, she's <laughs> laughing right now, I can tell you. She came in back in November 2017. Um, you and I were on that sports station and yeah. doing a show. Yeah. She came into our office. We had just started the show, uh, the morning show that we were doing in September. And she came in with a statement just a pension statement, mind you. So just to be clear. Okay. So we're talking about pension statements in this part here. Horrified because when am I ever going to be able to retire? Because according to her, she had about just under $36,000 in her pension statement. And what I had to do was inform her that, no, no, $36,000 was the income per year that you're going to get from the pension, not how much money was in the pension. Uh, and then we did an episode that morning. The Washington Capitals were playing that night, actually. And I remember she <laughs> phoned me the next day laughing. He yeah. said, you just talked about me on the radio. I said, well, I had to. Yeah. It was so funny. I mean, but, but it provided her clarity to know where she was in life and that, oh, retirement wasn't 20 years away. Retirement was yeah. only two and a half years away. So you sometimes need help with that statement, but look at annual income versus deposits. And that's really what you need to look at okay. or seek help. There's nothing wrong with going to the registered financial planner. And maybe you don't, you're not, maybe you're not ready for a full financial plan, but there's nothing wrong with going out, paying the person. And I've done this for many yeah. people for an hour of their time. Cause everyone should be paid for their time fairly and saying, I'm not really ready for a plan, but can you help me understand what I'm looking at yeah. and get someone independent who's not there to sell you. And we have uh, sometimes with me or with Brian, Derek, Vitri, Jackie, different people at our office where clients will come in, we'll spend an hour with them, helping them out. And maybe we don't see them again, or maybe we don't see you for another year. That's okay. That's your right. We don't want you to come in until you're ready And and willing and and able to move forward with that trust factor to do a financial plan. But seek advice and help because I can tell you this from, and we we vet and choose the portfolio managers Mm -hmm. we work with,
0: still, that does not make a statement easy to read. Yeah, to say the least. I mean, English is not only my first language, it's my only language, and I still get confused with all of this. So. And I've heard
1: you speak it, and sometimes yes. I question that.
0: <laughs> okay, are you ready for the next one? <laughs> yeah, I am. Okay, here it comes, okay? Because uh, I don't have an answer for this either, so this is why I'm asking. What is commuted value? Please commuted.
1: help me, yeah. help me. Commuted value is a great one because a lot of people don't even know it exists. So <laughs> commuted value is where you can leave your employer and instead of taking the pension or the income. Okay. And there's certain factors involved. You can actually just take all the money. Ah, See, I understand you, that. Yeah, you take all the money. I get that part. So let's use that example of that woman. Um, hers didn't have commuted value, but let's just use an example. So she had a choice. Let's say she had a choice, and I just did one of these last week, where the person had a choice of, you know, what it was $2,000 a month of income provided for whatever the period was, the 10-year guarantee period, unless they died, et cetera. There's all these different options anyways with a pension. Or they can take all the money, go to their firm they want to deal with, invest the money, And then you have control over your income. Ah. So instead of the pension department being in control of your income, you choose your income. Now the pension department's going to go to your spouse who has to also sign off with you. Oh, your husband, wife. Oh, they don't care about you. They don't want to leave you with any money. Oh, they, you know, they're going to lose all your money. The the fear factor. Holy crap. I mean, it's there. They will, they will, I've seen them have a woman in tears, putting the fear of God in them wow. about taking commuted value, where actually the person took the, va- the money, the commuted value. We, we knew in this case, the husband was going to pass away. It was a very unfortunate, but they actually got all the money plus life, they, life insurance. They ended up getting twice as much money, but the pension department doesn't want you knowing that because guess why? There's a commission involved. They want to keep the money and keep it. Now, here's the thing. Do you want to be in charge of your income or do you want someone at a HR department to be in charge of your income and deciding, do you want your pension money to go to your kid's spouse if you pass away? Or do you want it to be left with the pension company? They don't want you to have the money. They want to keep the money. They get a commission on it. Yeah. It's your money. It's your right. If you have a chance for commuted value, I have yet ever in my day seen a commuted value where it didn't work for the person. There probably are some cases where it's not the right decision to make, but at least go through the information and see if you should take the commuted value. And when you're doing this, let the financial advisor should not be irresponsible. They should use a rate of return between 3% and 5% at the most. In other words, what kind of income... Will this lump sum lump sum of money provide you if it earns five percent at the most? Uh, and then compare that to the pension. But compare the freedom you get with that money. Okay, with certain pensions, you can take that commuted value, like Air Canada's one and, and other airlines and certain certain private companies. You have a choice to take that commuted value right up until retirement, like age sixty five. You don't have to do it at fifty five. But again, that's where the full disclosure, like we talked about in one of the earlier episodes, goes, you know, that really comes through. in having copies of those pension statements and then the advisor or financial planner when helping work on your plan can get you to ask those questions to your HR department about commuted value, when do I have to take it by? But warning, be expecting mm-hmm. some blowback, Whoa. especially from government type things where they don't want you to take that money. <laughs> they, they like the commission that, provi- you know, keeping that money on hand or bonuses, whatever The people are going to write and go, we don't get a commission bonuses, enhancements. I don't care what you want to call it compensation on the more money that's kept in a pension plan. Um, but I feel whether you deal with me or not, I don't care. It's your money. You should have the freedom, the full disclosure, to make a choice with your money, which is your pension. Again, as I said, God forbid you're to pass away, leaving all that money to your spouse, your kids, their kids creating a legacy or having that money disappear into the hands of the pension company. Your money, your choice, community value is important to find out.
0: So what is your
1: real rate of return? Yeah, and that's really important when you're looking at all this stuff. Again, with the with the pensions, use a rate of three to five percent, but a real rate of return is what are you earning minus fees? So let's say they're showing you, though, a net rate of return, which is different from a real rate of return. So they're showing you a net rate of return. But then what you have is um, return minus inflation. And inflation, we go through low periods of inflation. We go through high periods of inflation. And it's funny, when you think back to 1990 and you could get about twelve percent on a term deposit. Well, back and I get this from older people, like my parents, like my dad. Well, back in nineteen ninety, son, I could earn twelve percent on my GIC. Dad, inflation was ten. You were really earning two, and that's the real rate of return—the difference between what are you earning and what inflation is. And when people give me that, well, I would—I could go get a GIC right now for six, and 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 in twenty twenty two here when we recorded this. And inflation was about six. So what you're telling me is you just made nothing. That's really what it is. Um, so you got to look at your long-term, like five-year average rate of return versus a five-year average rate of inflation. And if your average gross rate of return is seven and inflation is two, you made five. That's for simplistic right. you know,
0: education. Sure. So <laughs> to keep the, the, the money trail here, okay, And again, I'm learning a new language with you. Um, What is dollar cost averaging? And why are we doing it? Yeah,
1: well, new language, because remember, you just said you don't really speak English. So dollar (laughs) cost averaging, you can't guess the highs and lows. When is it good to put in my money? When is it not good to put in my money? Well, I can tell you the exact low day to put in your money. Just give me my rear view mirror and let me look back six months to a year and tell you the, the best day but we really don't know the best day. So dollar cost averaging is a really good way to plan, which means you're putting in money monthly to your plan. That's a strategy to put in money. And sometimes you're going to buy those investments high. Sometimes you're going to buy those investments low, but you're going to get the average price of those investments. So you're, you know, ironing out, smoothing out the volatility, the risk, And the guesswork. And it's a good way to budget in your financial plan to help you move forward from that initial plan that we talked about to a recommended plan moving forward. And there's nothing wrong with uh, doing that dollar cost averaging. Now, yeah, all the key points about evening out, lowering volatility, et cetera. Yeah. But more than that maybe it just gets you on a plan and, and forces you to move forward in your strategies to actually start doing a plan. And if that's an easy way to ease into it and you get those other benefits too, that's not bad.
0: Okay. Here's my final question. I've saved the best for last. When to buy and not to buy investments. When to buy investments is when you need them. When not
1: to buy investments is when you don't need them. I can tell you exactly when not to buy investments. When you go to the teller, at the bank because they're Uh not listeners people. That's why we call them tellers. (laughs) You go to the teller and she says, or he says on February 28th or March 1st, (laughs) did you maximize your RSPs? You better buy your RSPs. You should buy your RSPs now. How are you going to retire if you don't have RSPs? Don't buy investments then. Um, So the best time to buy investments is when you have the money. It's part of a well thought out strategy And the plan says you would benefit by doing these investments. And you're all in agreement. Don't buy them because someone's telling you to buy them as a guilt-ridden, commission-driven factor. Do your homework. Don't be pushed into it. Don't rush into it. Take your time uh, to make sure
0: the purchase makes sense. That's simple. And that's it for episode four. And Peter, folks uh, want more information on what you do at Everything Financial or how the Omni Formula works. What should they do? Go to everythingfinancial.com. Reach out to
1: us through email, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, if you want to learn more, one of the best ways to learn more, Dave, is looking on any of those areas where you can find podcasts. So look yep. up the Your Money podcast. Or go to Everything Financial Group on that YouTube internet thing. <laughs> um, we have our own YouTube channel. Yeah. It's there. All the episodes get dropped there. I hope drop's the right terminology. Yes, it is. Um, yes, it is. And, and you can look up all sorts of education materials on there and reach out send us an email and we'll be happy to help you out and point you in the right direction
0: as always great stuff uh, we'll be back soon with episode 5 in the meantime if you have a question for Peter or a topic from uh, the financial world that you'd like us to cover uh, email the show at yourmoney at everythingfinancial.com adios thanks Dave